Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan, for your prayer. We are continuing our study on the Godhead tonight, and we've got quite a ways to go. But tonight we're going to talk about the bounties of God. Now, first of all, I don't think I need to remind you, but I'm going to anyway. You know how preachers are. Uh, God has blessed us abundantly. Isn't that not true? Uh, with salvation, and He's certainly been good to us, and I think God is good. Thank you, Wayne. I thought you were going to listen for a minute. Now, I'd like for everybody to turn to our opening verse tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Give you a moment to get there. And I think when you get there, you're going to discover or that you remember that verse. You've probably heard it before. You may have even quoted at least part of it before. But Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says this. As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And how many have heard of that verse before? Sure you have. Some have quoted it, referred to that. What does that verse tell us? Okay. Somebody else want to take a shot at that. Notice the last part of the verse. God's prepared some things for who? Them that love Him. How many love God tonight? Amen. Yeah. Now, Alan, I agree with what you're saying, but if you're like me, too often for many years, we read verse 9 and we stopped there. It's not entered into our hearts. Our eyes haven't seen it. Our ears haven't heard what God has prepared for those that love Him. But notice verse 10. Somebody read that, please. Thank you, Dan. Now you remember... A few months back, we spent almost a year, if not a little longer, on our series, But God. And I I mentioned early on in that series that word, but, normally cancels out everything before that. And in verse 9, it is true. Our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard. We know all of that. Not on our own, but God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And folks, I think that is wonderful news, don't you? He's revealed them to us by His Spirit. So I want to remind you what verse 9 says is true on the fact we cannot learn these things on our own. They'll never enter our hearts. We will never see them with the physical eye or the physical ear. But there are some things that God has prepared for us And once we are saved, those who love God, we have the Holy Spirit who reveals them to us because the Spirit of God searches everything, all the deep things of God. Somebody say amen. How we need that. How we need the Spirit of God to reveal those things for us. Now, notice what, what Paul says 
The Spirit of God searches all things. And the question that we need to ask tonight, why is it that so few Christians, God's people, search out and enjoy what the Spirit of God has revealed in the Word of God about those things that God has prepared for them. Now, please understand, these things are spiritually revealed. But how many know that lazy Christians will never know them? Isn't that true? That is true. Now, notice that, because we've got to search out the Word of God. And it's amazing to me, and I tend to get my time schedules messed up. I'm in my length of time, but I've been at this now for a few years. And God is still revealing things to me through His Word, through the Holy Spirit. But we've got to search the Word of God. But the problem is, a lot of times we get more occupied with other things. Isn't that true? Other things take that place, and we miss out. And our lives are not as full as they could be, or some lives are empty because of our leanness. But what a different plane we could live on if we searched out the deep things of God. Now, don't forget, we have the Spirit of God to reveal those things to us. And we, we received the Spirit of God the day we were saved. There is no doubt in my mind, well, the Scripture is very clear on this, by the way. And certainly I think we're impressed when we consider the riches of God's grace. Somebody read Ephesians 1, 7, please. Thank you, Philip. Now, we know uh, Paul, when he says, in whom, he's referring to Jesus Christ. Paul says we have redemption through the blood of Christ. And we have the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever told God how good you are? What's the truth of the matter? None of us are good. Paul said, no, not one. He's quoting from the Old Testament, of course. And we need to realize, folks, Paul talks about our salvation. How God has redeemed us. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life I, I kind of contemplate that, and I wonder, well, Lord, how in the world could you ever forgive and redeem a sinner like me? And Paul says it's only because of the riches of God's grace. Isn't that good? And by the way, how rich is God's grace? Very abundant. And we'll probably allude to this later on in our, in our text tonight. But Paul said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace super abounded. I want to go to Luke's gospel, if you will, and also uh, to Matthew's gospel. And we're going to read a story of a marriage feast. And this marriage feast, I think, sort of depicts, if you will, in a way, where our walk with Christ begins. Uh, Let's look at Luke chapter 14. Will somebody read verses 16 through 23, please?
All right, thank you, Dan. And we're going to come back in a moment and make some comments here, some observations. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 2 through 10. Anybody got that one? Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you, Dan, for reading the other passage. What's going on here? What's happening? <laughs> Man, it's going to party. And no. You what now? Everybody got an issue. Is that anything old or new? Yeah. Even today. That's kind of interesting. I couldn't help but think of this. Uh, what time is it? Anybody know what time it is? Well, how do you know? Oh, you got a watch. Okay. Well, how many know that day they didn't have watches? And you know what I found out? Chinese people don't either. Uh, now, I love, I love Greg and Paris. Good, for, good Christian people. By the way, great news. Paris became a U.S. citizen, I think, a week or so ago. And she, we, she's, we're thankful for that. But a few years back, we were invited, and some of you were there, to their home for a, for a, a big supper. Her mother was there, and I think some other Chinese people were there. And we were invited to be there a certain time. And we get there. I'm hungry. And we wait and we wait. And finally Greg comes and says, he said, Chinese people have no concept of time. And he was right. It was two or three hours before it was ready to eat, which is fine. We enjoyed our fellowship. And I said this, say this in, in this day, in this culture, they didn't have watches. And so anytime there was a big feast, there were two invitations sent out. One is there's going to be a feast. Okay? And people reply, I'll be there. But the second invitation was when the feast was ready. It's now time to come. Now, by the way, I think we have to understand something here. Um, I never forget our first pastor. Some of you may remember that. Charlie might remember it. Uh, he preached this message one time. He called that one guy Ron the Realtor. I'll never forget that. 
Uh, he had to, he bought a piece of land and had to go you know find out about it. Well, who buys land without looking at it first? You know, one had bought an, uh, a, a yoke of oxen. He needed to go test them. Well, who does that without testing them first? Now, one guy had an excuse. He took a wife. I'm just kidding, okay? But whatever it was. But Phyllis, you're right. They were just what? Excuses. Because they all knew about the feast. And, of course, in Matthew, a similar thing went on. Again, the invitation was sent out, and then it came time to tell them the second invitation is time to come. And again, many of them refused. It was ready. Now, first of all, and I don't know that uh, this is very uh, debated, but I think we can say for sure Christ is talking about the Jews here. They were bidden to come to the feast, right? And for the most part, what happened? They didn't come. And that's interesting. The ones who should have, the ones who said they would, when time came, they didn't. Absolutely. Didn't come. And so, the word to us is this. Look at verse 17, Luke 14. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. What's he saying? It's time. It is time. Another verse for us is Matthew 22, verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Notice this. Come unto the marriage. Now, what catches our attention, or my attention anyway, is the fact that the that the one with the banquet says, I have prepared. And we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, some of the things that God's prepared for them that love him. I want you to know, this feast was prepared for those who love God. I have prepared. And also, we see in that same verse, Matthew 22, 4, that th all things are ready. All things are ready. So, God prepared a feast. And he tells them when it's ready. Again, agreeing with those things that God prepared for his people that love him. And the fact they're already, they are ready now. God is revealing to them and to us the time is now. 1 Corinthians 5.18. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Anybody got that? Okay, thank you, Dan. Our focus, thinking about what God has done, according to verse 18, Paul said there, all things are of who? They're of God. They belong to God. And we read a moment ago 
in Matthew 22, verse 4, where the one who sent the invitation out said, My dinner, my oxen, my fatlings. So my question is, we see the one who gave the invitation. Here's what I provided. So what were the people invited to provide? Just do what? Yeah, for themselves. Just come. Is that grace or what? Is that a picture of God? And so what's interesting is this. Certainly all things are of God. And I want to tell you, folks, when it comes to our salvation, we bring nothing to the table. Nothing. Because all things are of God. But also interesting, in the last few words of Matthew 22, 4, the host says, come to the marriage. All you have to do is what? Come. Come unto the marriage. Now, first of all, I think we can understand something here. This is not an afternoon tea party. Would you agree? What kind of a party do you think it is? Say it again. Absolutely. It's extravagant. I mean, it's top notch. And all we have to do is come. The idea of the picture here is a blessed picture. It's a, it's a joyful picture. A time of festivity. A time of feasting. We looked some weeks ago at the uh, prodigal son, Luke 15. Uh, look there in verse 23. Read that if you will. What are they getting ready to have? A party. A feast. And we see a, a picture of this prodigal son who was uh, repented. He was welcomed home by the father. And as soon as he's clothed and uh, fitted for the house, those words go out. Bring forth the fatted calf. Why? We're going to celebrate. We are going to eat. We are going to be merry. And the Bible says that's exactly what they did. It was time to celebrate. Now think about this. The stories that Jesus gave, the illustration about the feast being prepared, are here in the parable of the prodigal son. What do you think the father held back from this party? Nothing. Nothing at all. No boundaries. And what's interesting, this newborn joy are to characterize all this festive scene, not only now, but also in glory. Folks, we've been invited. It's ready. And what a, what a picture of how God lavishly gives His grace, His bounties upon His people. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, we see it pictured there. What's God saying to, to Noah here? 
Everything is yours. Yeah. Everything. Now, in the previous chapter, in chapter 8 there, toward the end of it, we find that Noah offers a, a sacrifice to God, and God recognizes it as a sweet savor that he had just smelled. And we can't miss the connection, because that's the basis on which God freely bestowed all things upon the patriarchs in the Old Testament. And so Noah offers a sacrifice to God, and God is pleased. And because of that sweet-smelling aroma, God says, I'm going to bless you. And it's certainly a foreshadow of the unmeasured, unhindered blessing that God is going to give to those who are new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, do you realize, as a child of God, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And my question is, who of us deserves that? No one. Read Ephesians 1, verse 3, somebody. Uh, thank you, Dan. Now, the blessing we read about in Genesis with Noah, uh, that was based on God's value of the sacrifice Noah offered. But now these blessings that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, they are based on the value of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made himself. And my question is, what greater sacrifice could be offered? There is none. And God values that sacrifice supremely. And so the abiding worth of that sacrifice, we cannot calculate it. It is limitless. We cannot measure it because of the excellency of the very Son of God. And I want you to understand, the Father delights in His Son. And based on that sacrifice, we have all of the spiritual blessings of God. Again, I want to ask you a question. Has God blessed your life? Yes. Based on what? On your goodness? On what? His will. And by whose blood? His son's. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. He values the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, these are spiritual blessings in heavenly places. They're given to us, and guess how long we get to enjoy them? Say it again. Forever and ever and ever in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about some of the things tonight I think that God has blessed us with. There are too many to go each one. We'll take a few tonight. What about His grace? You ever think about God's grace? Ephesians 1, verse 7. Yeah. 
Okay, so now again, we read it earlier, but uh, we are not only told of the riches of His grace. Uh, go to Ephesians 2.7. Now, it's kind of interesting, in Ephesians 1.7, Paul talks about the riches of His grace. In chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about there's going to come a time in the future. God's going to reveal to us just how exceeding the riches of His grace and His kindness was toward us through Jesus Christ. You hear me say it fairly often, but understand this. We will never understand the depth of grace until we get to heaven. We'll never understand how amazing grace really is until we get to heaven. Romans 5, verse 15. Amen. Now, by the way, you know what happened in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They fell away. That perfect relationship had was marred. But Jesus was going to come. God promised that way back in Genesis 3. And we have to understand, sin was awful. But how many know that grace covers that sin? Through Jesus Christ. Um, Romans 5, verse 17, same chapter. Amen. And Paul calls it the abundance of grace there. Uh, Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20, are you there? Oh, okay. Amen. Now, by the way, is there any sin God will not forgive? No. And now you're thinking of the sin of the the Holy Ghost. If that happens, you're not going to ask forgiveness. And if you don't ask forgiveness, guess what? There'll be none. Understand where sin abounds, grace super. Abounded. So Paul speaks about a grace that's abounded unto many. He says we've received abundance of grace. And he also says that that grace has superabounded. It's, it's, it's limitless in its wealth. Uh, and it multiplies itself in our lives. No matter how deep sin is, if we come to God, His grace superabounds. John one fourteen. And when we think about the cause of God's grace, the depth of God's grace, we see it in John chapter one here, in verse fourteen. We see it at a time when the only begotten Son of the Father, 
became flesh, and he tabernacled among men for a season. And John said, he was one full of grace and truth. Now, you've heard me speak on this verse several times, or at least allude to it, allude to it often. I think John was amazed. And later on, he would write, and I don't have the verse on our notes tonight, we touched and handled the word of life. And I, it, it's amazing to him that the one who came, that he walked with for three and a half years, he was the Son of God, the glory of God revealed, and he said he was full of grace and truth. Look at verse 16, John 1. Anybody got that one? Because you and I, we are heirs and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have received the fullness of his grace. And John describes that as grace for grace. Aren't you glad for God's grace tonight? What a wonderful bounty God has given us. Let's talk a little bit about God's love. How big is God's love? Oh, yeah. He doesn't reserve His love. He doesn't hold it back. He doesn't restrain it. Uh, And what thrills me... He loved me before I knew him. He loves unlovely objects. And the great news is our God has loved his people with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Would you agree with me tonight that no one has ever loved you like God loves you? Amen. No one will ever love us like God loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And He's drawn us with His loving kindness. Now, you need to remember, Paul would write to the church at Galatians. I don't have the verse in our notes tonight. But he talked about when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And so, yes, He sent His Son into a world because He loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. And the reason He did that, John 3.16, that no matter whoever it was that believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, chapter... Chapter 2, verse 4, please. Somebody got that one? God's rich in mercy, but what kind of love does he love us with? A great love. It's an abundant love, just like his grace is. He loved us a great love in which he loved us. Now, that that word that's translated great there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, is the... uh, uh, same Greek word that's translated into different words in English. Uh, one example was Matthew 9, verse 37. Anybody got that? 
Okay, now in this verse, uh, Jesus is talking about the, the harvest being plenteous. What's it mean when something is plenteous? There's lots and lots and lots. So that's the same Greek word that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, when he talks about this great love that God loved us with. Another word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, was also the same word in the Greek. Somebody read that, please. Again, what's applied to his mercy is also supplied to his love. It is great. It is abundant. Uh, it is plenty. It's all of those things. And that's exactly what the love of God is. And you hear me say it often. I don't want to sound like a broken record. But one thing I can guarantee you tomorrow morning when you wake up, you don't have to worry and ask yourself, does God still love me? What's the answer? He does. Yes, he loves you. We're talking about a love that cannot be measured. We're talking about a love that passes knowledge. We're talking about a love that God used to fill our lives uh, with unceasing comfort. Uh, a love that is every act, ever active in our lives. He's our advocate. He's our high priest. And I want you to realize God's love is certainly abundant. Thank God for His love. John 10.10. 10. What kind of life does God want us to have? An abundant life. When? Right now and for all of eternity. And I want you to realize whenever we speak about God's love and we speak about God's grace, uh, we will never exhaust those subjects. They are limitless. And Jesus Christ, He came into our world not to steal, not to kill, not to destroy because of our sin, but He came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. What a God! A God who loves us that much. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Amen. Now think about this. Jesus tells John, I want you to write to the church of Laodiceans. I want you to tell him what the Amen says. The faithful and the true witness. Who is the faithful and true witness? Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Amen. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Now, what's interesting, through the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here, he breathed on his disciples, and he said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is this. Go to John 3, 34. Let's read that. Jesus was crucified. He died. 
He was buried. What happened three days later? He raised up. Resurrection life. And what I want you to realize is this. This same Jesus who breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples, now through the Holy Spirit, now that he has gone to heaven, he gives us the Holy Spirit without limit to those who come to Christ. He holds absolutely nothing back. Titus chapter 3, verse 6. Are you in chapter 3, verse 6? Talking about the Spirit of God. He gives it to us abundantly. He shed on us abundantly. Again, expressing how great the bounties of God are. Folks, God holds nothing back from His children. Okay, let's talk about something else, his confidences. I had a friend of mine call me uh, this week, and uh, I've known him for quite a few years. And uh, he said, Brother Roland, I want to say something to you. And uh, he said, there's something I want to tell you that I just don't feel comfortable telling anyone else. And he showed me, showed me what it was, told me what it was, and uh, of course I won't tell anybody what he said. And he said, you know, I was listening to Charles Stanley the other day, and he said, I heard him make a statement that in our lives, all of us probably only have one or the most two people we can share anything with. People we can share with, whatever it is, and they'll never stop loving us. We might disappoint them, but they still support us. They encourage us. And he said, Brother Roland, I believe you're one of those for me. And of course, I returned it because I felt the same about him as well. But I want you to realize there are things that God shares with us because we are his children. And we're going to look at those confidences tonight. Look what it says in John 15, verse 15. Now notice what Jesus says to the disciples. From this point on, I am not going to call you servants. Because a servant really doesn't know everything his master does. He said, but I'm going to call you, I'm calling you friends. And notice the last part of that verse. He said, all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known to you. What does that mean? Say it again. He kept no secrets. He's not holding back anything. Have you ever, this is sort of a rhetorical question, uh, someone comes and tells you a story of some kind that's happening and you hear the story and you're thinking there's got to be something more to it. They're leaving something out. What did Jesus leave out? Nothing. He's revealed everything. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12, look what Peter wrote.
Now think about this. Um, Peter is rejoicing here. And he's speaking about what God had revealed to the apostles. Those who preached the gospel because the Spirit of God was sent down from heaven. And how many know, I think about what Peter is saying here, the message that they were preaching. Now again, this is the result of the Spirit of God coming down to heaven, uh, from heaven in a different way than he ever had before, Pentecost. And Peter says, the things that we are preaching, the angels desired to look into them. Folks, do you realize how how amazing salvation is? The fact that God would die for our sins. The fact that he would send his son, his only begotten son, to die for our sins. And Peter says, these are things that the angels have desired to look into. And those things have been made known to us by the Spirit of God. Remember, folks, the Spirit of God searches even the deep things of God and it reveals them to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Amen. Now, don't miss this, okay? God has made known to us the mystery of His will because it was His good pleasure that He Himself, perfect, because He is sovereign. And this certainly is talking about the abundance of God's counsels. And we have to understand God reveals them to us through the power of of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Somebody read that, please. <clears throat> Thank you, Dan. Now, this is really a prayer that Paul is praying. And he's speaking about the exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe in Christ, who believe in God. And, and Paul says, look, you know, I want you to know this wonder-working power which God is working in us through Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and he set him on high on his own right hand. And so it's interesting. Uh, go to uh, Ephesians 3.20. What can God do? Everything. More than we can imagine abundantly, exceeding abundantly, uh, according to his power that works in us. And, and certainly it's the highest putting forth of energy. God is working subjectively in our lives. 
And without a doubt, uh, what a lavish measure that God has blessed His people. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look what Paul says. Amen. Now, don't miss that, okay? Uh, Paul is writing about the fact that we are complete in Christ. We are absolutely complete in Christ because Christ is the head of all principality. He's the head of all, all power. We are complete in Him. Now, we've covered a few scriptures tonight about God's grace, God's love, the Holy Spirit He's given us. And it's one thing... To know it in our mind. It's one thing to say this is what the Bible says. And it's important what the Bible says. So make no mistake about that. But I'm going to tell you, it's one thing to know them intellectually. But we've got to go a step farther and make them ours by faith. Do you understand the promises God made are for all of us? Now there are certain ones for certain times for certain people. But not, most of them are not. They are promises for all of God's children. And so by faith, we've got to make these our own. And it's one thing to know what the Bible says about them, <clears throat> but it's another thing to live in the power of those things and to be a personal expression of those things every day in our lives. Second Corinthians 4, verse 15. Now think about this. What God has provided for us. All the bounties of God. What should our response be? I think Paul hits it right on the head there in 2 Corinthians 4, 15. We ought to just be filled, if you will, with the glory of God, with thanksgiving for what God has done in our lives. And we ought to be giving God the glory every day. Because, folks, I want to tell you, God has been good to His people. He has been good to is people. Romans 15, verse 13. All right, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Folks, do you realize we serve a God of hope? Even in a hopeless world, even when our lives are shattered, our God is still a God of hope. And we've got to claim these promises for ourselves. We've got to live with them and live through them every day of our lives. And so we need to abound in hope, and we need to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Amen. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many know, I'm not talking about Satan here, but how many know who, what our worst enemy is? Ourself, but it's death. Aren't you glad that Jesus conquered death? Aren't you glad that we've got a living hope? 
Peter says, a lively hope. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, because he lives, we will live also. Folks, we have got a living hope even when our world falls apart. Now, by the way, everything we've talked about tonight, God's grace, God's love, um, the Holy Spirit, this living hope, all of these things are only true in believers' lives. It's for you and I, for saints of God. Whether it's His grace or His love, His life He gives to us, His power, His confidence, doesn't matter. His mercy. Everything God has for us, do you know He's got plenty of it? It's abundant. It will never, ever run dry. And it's so abundant. I remember years ago, uh, we went on a trip with Charlie and Ned and Glover to Florida. First time I saw the ocean. And you know what I realized? There's a lot of it. Amen? There's a lot of it. And that was on the East Coast. And then some years ago, we flew to California for a national convention. And we went with Tom and Dooley, drove out to the West Coast. And I saw the Pacific Ocean. And guess what? There's a lot of it, too. And we'll think about whatever God has for us, whether it's His grace, His mercy, His power, His confidence. Folks, I want you to realize it is so abundant. And God wants us to know exactly how lavish His bounties are for our lives, things He has given us. Romans 5.11 Think about what Paul says here. We also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the practical effect of what we talked about tonight, it ought to cause us to have this joy in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's not always happiness, and joy goes deeper than that. And I know there are struggles in our lives. There are hard times in our lives. But we need to have that deep sense of joy knowing that God promises us a living and a lively hope. 2 Corinthians 9 8. Did you hear what Paul wrote? He said, God's able. He's able to make all grace abound toward us, that we always have all sufficiency in all things, that we might abound to every good work. I have a question for you. Is that true? Is it true? Yes. Now, if that's not true, guess what? We're in trouble. If that's not true, how do we know, how do we know John 3.16 is true? And I want you to realize there are times in my life and your life we need to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of what we know to be true in God's Word. But I hope you know by now that we cannot live on our feelings. 
We cannot live on our emotions, but my friend, we can live on what we know God's Word says. And I want to tell you, you heard me say it hundreds of times, if we're going to nail the goodness of God down, we better do it while things are going good. If you wait till they're not, you won't get it nailed down. God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. Let's stop.